Before we get into the show, let me quickly tell you about a new podcast I've discovered. Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. What's so exciting for me is that this show is hosted by husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, who are fellow Manx. Yeah, they are fellow Mancunians. We are from the same city. And Leanne and I realized we actually at one point lived in the exact same area. What a small world. So in their podcast, Al and Leanne are dispelling myths, imparting wisdom, and answering all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Leanne's a business psychologist, and Al has led and owned multiple businesses over the past 20 years. Together, they blend theory and practice to help business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. Now, as a copywriter who loves figuring out what makes people tick and what makes them buy, I really enjoyed their episode with Phil Agnew. It's called What Makes Your Team Say Yes? Exploring the Psychology of Influence. Go check it out. Listen to Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. The year is 1978. Ashley is a young mother living in Ghana's capital, Accra, where she works as a business owner selling wares in Mokola Market. This open-air market is overflowing with people, sounds and scents. And Ashley is surrounded by women who were just like her, determined to feed their family by selling anything from fresh fruit and vegetables, pots and pans, colourful dresses, shoes and locally handcrafted beads. Ashley's husband is already living and working in Canada. So right now she's parenting her four girls alone. Later that year, her husband will send for her so they can all be reunited in Toronto. Tied to Ashley's back as she works at the market is her second oldest daughter. Her name is Vivian. Little did Ashley know that her move to Canada, her struggle to rebuild her life, learn a new language, raise her girls in a country that wasn't her own, would be totally worth it. And that little girl on her back would grow up, follow in her footsteps by entering the world of commerce and become the Vivian K a woman who's built three successful businesses with one of them making over $6 million in revenue. So I always say that I'm I'm my mother's wildest dreams. I'm living out loud for my mother, doing all the things she couldn't do. I'm doing that. On today's show, I'm speaking to Vivian Kay, founder and CEO of Kinky Kiliaki, about how one mistake cost her over $12,000, but also taught her that nothing good can ever come from ignoring your own instincts. I just was not feeling it, but I was like, it's okay. I was worried about the sunk cost. So I just said, okay, it's okay. We can push through this. We can push through this. And then I just said, okay, no. (laughs) No, nope, 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 nope. Welcome to Mistakes That Made Me, the podcast that asks extraordinary business owners to share their biggest business mistake so you know what not to do on your road to success. My name's Iman Ismail, and I'm an email strategist and copywriter for online business owners and e-commerce brands. I'm a podcast lover, a pizza binger, a proud mama of two, and I have this radical idea that if maybe us business owners were a little less guarded and a lot more open about the mistakes we've made, we could help each other grow a business that brings us more joy and less regret. So you're most known for your multi-million dollar natural hair extensions business kinky kiliaki and of course vivian k consulting is 
super popular as well because people want to learn from you and want to learn how you're doing what you're doing. But Kinky Kaliaki was not your first business. So no, no. Yeah. So before we dive into Kinky Kaliaki, tell me a little bit about how you got into business. Uh, Well, you know, all of my businesses, I I started because I had a problem I needed to solve. So the first business that I started was a wedding decor business. And I only started it because I had a sister who got married and she had hired a decorator that did a craptastic job. And I thought to myself, you know, we're not the type of family or the type of people who spend, you know, thousands of dollars on wedding decor. So I'm sure there's got to be a market for women or brides who want beautiful wedding decor, but don't want to spend a lot of money on it. So I was doing this thing where I called it Simple Yet Fabulous. So uh, it was a business that I started. And then while I was running that business, which I ran successfully for about nine years, and that was also a six-figure business, that's how I started Kinky Curly Aki. Wow. And so why did you move from Vivian's Decor to Kinky Curly Aki? Well, while I was running Vivian's Decor, I came across another problem, which was I needed hair that looked, quote unquote, presentable. And if you're not Mm -hmm. a black woman, if you are a black woman, you know exactly what that means. But if you're not, I'll just explain. So a lot of black women go through this thing where we're told that our our natural hair, whether it be curly or kinky or, or coily, is not professional. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us are, you know, used to put chemicals in our hair in order for it to look straight and to mimic, you know, that European texture. But by about 2010, by with, you know, with the rise of YouTube, we started getting sick of that. So we started to try and care for the way our hair grows naturally. With that said, a lot of us wear protective styles because we live in climates that aren't really conducive <laughs> to keeping nope. our hair curly, right? So Europe and North America, that sort of thing. And so I needed a protective style that looked like my hair. That's what I wanted. But when I went looking for it, I couldn't find it. And if I did, if it was buried between the, you know, the the Brazilian and the Malaysian, the more silkier textures of of hair. And I was tired of that African in the front and Indian in the back. And so then I went looking for the answer to my own problem. So I was in Facebook groups. I was in hair care forums trying to solve my own problem. And when I saw that there were other women having that problem, I sort of you know, took the idea and filed it in the back of my head because I was already running a successful business. But then, you know, I didn't want to start another business because I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can't. The first one was a fluke. So let me just (laughs) let me just focus on that. But then I went to a networking event and another black woman pulled me aside and said, what is your regimen for getting your hair to look like that? Who is your hairdresser? And I was like, girl, this is a weave. And she said, I would buy that. So not only did I have proof of traction from this woman who was who told me to my face that she would buy it and I bought it and I knew there were dozens of other women on the Internet who would also buy it. In the down season of my wedding business, I just said, hey, let me just give it a try and see what happens. So in December of 2012, I launched Kinky Curly Aki and it immediately took off because this was at the time where there weren't any companies just selling kinky textured hair. I am the originator. I invented the niche. I am the OG. Mm. And so now even when people refer to, you know, kinky textured hair, they're like, yeah, I I want that kinky curly yaki. So uh, I didn't mean to start a second business. It was, again, a problem I wanted to solve for myself. 
And, you know, I had proof of concept just by going out in public with it and Mm -hmm. doing research. And I saw that there was a problem that needed to be solved. So this business grows and immediately takes off. And you have another business running. So what happens next? How do you deal with that growth? And and now you have two businesses. And six or seven months into Kinky Kaliaki, you get pregnant. Right. (laughs) So I got pregnant had a baby. So I was running the two businesses consecutively because why not? Right. At the time, mm-hmm. you know, I was a single you know, woman who had nothing else to do. So why not, you know, just get into the hustle. But once I had my son and I, and I saw that the business was really the e-commerce business was really taking off because it was something that I could do at 2.30 in the morning while I was breastfeeding. And so by 2015, I was like, OK, I'm 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 done running two businesses. This other business that I'm, I'm I'm running seems to be doing well, you know, because the first year I'd hit just under half a million in sales. And that's just with, you know, organic reach and word of mouth. So I thought, wow, I'm only doing this half ass. So what if I actually put my full ass into it and see what happens? And so here we are. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I hear you talking a lot about how your mother inspired you in entrepreneurialism. She was Mm. the first person you saw doing business. Tell me a bit about your mother and and the role that she played in who you are today. Yeah, she plays a huge role in who I am today. So my background, I'm originally from Ghana. So my mom and I, my dad was already in Canada and my dad sent for us. So it was my mom and I. So of course, while my dad was gone, my mom had to support us. So I was that child that she carried on her back while she was selling goods, you know, through the markets of Mokola and Ghana. And so that was my first exposure to being an entrepreneur. And I would like to add that, you know, in quote unquote, first world countries, being an entrepreneur is a luxury. Whereas in, you know, places like Ghana, you know, the Caribbean, Africa, period, for us, being an entrepreneur is is survival, Right. Because the government, uh, you know, the systems aren't really set up to support people and to have, you know, the plenty, plenty jobs, that sort of thing. So when we got here, my mom, you know, did all that she could in order to support my dad and to support her children. Now, when you hear about being an entrepreneur, it's like, oh, you know, it's a luxury. It's a hustle. Oh, my gosh, I get to do it. If I don't succeed, then that's okay because I can get a job. I didn't really have that sort of information because all I saw were white guys being entrepreneurs, right? And even then it was like, you know, if you were an entrepreneur, you either a kajillionaire or you were just that person that couldn't get a job. And so for me and my mom, like for watching my mom and knowing that hustle, that's the version of entrepreneurism that I know, which is you need to do what you need to do in order to survive. And so then here I was a single mom with this business that was taking off. And all I did during that time was focus on my business and my baby. And having that sort of drive is something that my mom did. She had four girls. You know, she came from a village in in Togo. And, you know, all she knew was to hustle. All she knew was to do was to work hard in order to feed her children and to house her children. And so then that's that's the sort of drive that I had. So I didn't Let the fact that I didn't have a college education stop me from even trying because, I mean, why not try, right? Because what's the worst that could possibly happen? So now that I've accomplished all these things, you know, you always hear people saying that, oh, I'm my ancestors' wildest dreams. No, I'm my mother's wildest dreams. She came from a village with no education and here she brought her, you know, she she left everything she knew 
to come to this new cold country to give what she could to her children. So the least I could do is if I'm going to try something, I'm at least going to give it 110%. Just so at least I can say I tried. So I always say that I'm I, I, I'm my mother's wildest dreams. I'm living out loud for my mother, doing all the things she couldn't do. I'm doing that. And then I hope to do, my son does the same thing. I always tell him right now, darling, you got to finish school. Finish school from up, okay? Finish the things that I couldn't finish, okay? And then you go and be bigger and better. Because that's that's the dreams we all have for our children, to do better than we did. Now, we're not supposed to put our hopes and aspirations on them, but we do want them to do better than we do. Because once you know better, you should do better. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I feel that from from what you were saying about your mom and to your boy as well. Kinky Kerliaki grew so quickly. Surely there's a lot of practical and also mindset stuff that you have to learn to deal with very, very quickly to kind of keep up with that growth. How do you manage growth that happens that quickly? Honestly, it was like a snowball. So, you know, you know, a snowball at the top of a hill. So it was like, oh, yeah, let me just create this little snowball. You know, you the you know, you have the good foundations of building a good snowball and you're like, oh, I'd like it to get bigger. So then you just sort of put it down and you push it down the hill. And then you're like, it gets as it goes down the hill, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And you're running after that snowball. Well, that's really what happened with me. So I just spent a lot of time running after the success. Right. So I was so busy in the success. I remember I hadn't even told anyone what sort of success I was having. I was just doing it. Like I said, I was minding my business and my baby. And so how you actually manage that, that sort of success, I like to say, take big, small steps. So obviously I didn't get there overnight, but it's, it's something, it's the small steps that I didn't think mattered that I did every single day that helped me to get to that point of saying I'm a success. It's those small things you don't want to do every single day. It's those things that, you know, you wish you had hired someone for, but you don't have the money for, but you got to do it. You know, all that stuff. That's what makes it, that's what helps you to manage the success and to know when to delegate and to know when to outsource when you can. Mm -hmm. I love that you stopped at that point because the next thing that I wanted to ask that I've been wondering is what does your team look like today? It's it's actually very lean and it's always been lean. So it's myself and two others. And then, uh, you know, I've got a team of other people that I outsource to. So like, say, my email marketing or the paid ads, that's all outsourced. But it's really lean where it's myself who who manages like the high level stuff. And then I have uh, one employee that all they do is deal with customer service. And then another employee that all they do is deal with the fulfillment and they work together in tandem to, you know, they go back and forth and that sort of thing. And then, of course, I'm always all hands on deck when when things, you know, are about to hit the fan. Right. (laughs) I I love that because I feel like there's so much pressure on us to grow, 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 grow a team, have as many people as possible working for you, delegate, outsource to, you know, the absolute max. What made you kind of stay away from that advice and, and keep things lean? Oh, I actually fell victim to that advice, Uh, you know, so I would say, you know, in about 2017, I was like, oh, I was trying to build my team, like get a bunch of people on board and make more money and but I found that I didn't like it. Like, I, you know, one of the things I always say, I didn't start the business to make money. It's not the reason why I started the business. I started the business to solve my own problem. I started the business to give confidence to black women, no matter where they are in the world, to show up as themselves in the world. And so 
when it started to get all ROAS and CAC and ROI and all these acronyms. I was just like, you know what? I don't, I really, I'm really not enjoying it at this point. And so then I made the decision to just sort of scale back because I didn't need to be a three kajillion dollar company. I was happy with where it was. Wow. Okay. So I, I don't know if you've heard of Paul Jarvis, but he wrote a book called Company of One and he talks about Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. And and you know what? It was actually after reading that book that made me feel, okay, I'm right in how I feel and this is how I want to keep it. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Because as as an email strategist and copywriter, the advice that I'm always getting is grow an agency, grow an agency. That's the best way to make money. That's the the best way to make more money faster. You know, grow, 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 grow. And I'm not interested in creating an agency and I never have been. And I thought, is there something wrong with me? And then no. I read that book and thought, huh, there are yeah. other people like me. Yeah. And what you just spoke about where you said, I don't need $3 million a year, you know, you're happy with just enough. You have defined for yourself what enough is and you're happy with that. Yeah. And I can't imagine how that must change your whole outlook on life. It it changed everything because even, you know, when I started the business, I was, I noticed that I, I I didn't feel comfortable keeping up with the Joneses and keeping up with all, because obviously when I started my business, and this was back in 2012, 2013, so this is when everyone started creating, like a lot of the the big businesses that you see now started back when I started, because that's mm-hmm. when people started feeling comfortable putting their credit cards online, right? And of course, with that came the, you know, the stunting. You know, the I've got the Gucci purse and the Lambo and the five bedroom house and da 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 da. And I never felt comfortable flexing mm-hmm. like that. And so what I realized is a lot of these companies were a lot of these founders were doing all this stuff and flexing, but they were unhappy. And I was like, I didn't like this again. I didn't start the business to make money. I started it so I could give black women confidence. I started it so that I could stay home and raise my son. So I just got back to my why. I I went all the way back to my why and why did I start this? And that's what I focused on. I mean, if money is your why, then, you know, good for you, but mm-hmm. not good for me. And I don't think anyone should feel pressured to have to live that way if they don't want to. Oh, absolutely. Just yesterday, I was listening to you talking on the Being Boss episode and you were talking about authenticity marketing. And at one point you said, bearing in mind that you're, amazingly successful business is a hair extensions business you said hair is not my jam no I think of it as a means to an end Mm -hmm. my real goal is to give black women confidence to show up as they are in the world so hair just so happens to be the means to that end yes that to me is mind-blowing I think as business owners we tend to get caught up in the day-to-day stuff a lot of the time we're just trying to make we're just trying to make as much money as possible or Mm -hmm. we're just trying to find the next client or when you know we're just trying to survive till the next launch how important is it for us to have a mission that just penetrates everything we do? Because honestly, there's going to be days when if you think, oh, make the most money, is it's not going to be enough. And even when you get that money, then what? You're burnt out. You're tired. You're miserable. Right. And so it's it's super important to have a why. Why are you doing this? Why are you you know, putting yourself through this unnecessary headache and stress when you could just go work a normal nine to five and leave, you know, leave the nine to five at the nine to five and go home. Right. And so it's super important to know what your why is, what your vision is, what your your mission is, what your values are. 
because that's the only thing that's going to carry you through when the going gets tough. Wow. I love that you ended on that because now I'm going to move on to what I invited you here for. (laughs) Vivian, what is the mistake that made you? The mistake that made me was putting my vision in someone else's hand. And that was a $12,000 mistake. Okay, back up. Take me back to the beginning. How did this situation come about? Well, first of all, let let me rephrase that. It wasn't a mistake. It was a lesson. (laughs) There's no such thing as mistakes. It's they're all lessons, really. Uh So I just gone through a beautiful rebrand. And uh, this is I'm talking about logo, you know, and all that. And so the company that had uh, done that for me had done a terrific job. And of course, with the new logo, I thought, oh, well, I need a new I need new photography for a new website, you know, the whole works. And so then what I did was I thought, okay, well, this company did such a great job with their logo and it was in their wheelhouse to do this photography thing. So why don't I just let them do it? Which was fine. So we sat down, we met, I talked about what I liked and what I didn't like and how I wanted it to feel and the authenticity that I wanted to come through in the photography. And then I just sort of was hands off on it. And so I let them manage everything. Everything seemed to be going fine until the day of the shoot. I walk into the studio and they're playing this really chill music. I, I, if you've ever seen anything that I've done, I'm not a chill music sort of person unless I'm going to sleep. And so already the vibe was off. And then the photographer was off. And then when I was seeing the pictures, I just was not feeling it. But I was like, it's okay. I was worried about the sunk cost. So I just said, okay, it's okay. We can push through this. We can push through this. And then, you know, we also did video that day again. Ugh, sunk costs. We, they can do, we can do this. Let's just push through, push through. And it wasn't until I got the final edits. I saw the photos and I was just like, oh my gosh, it's okay. We can save this. It's okay. We can, I can fix it. Like, you know, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. But when I saw the videos, I just said, okay, no, (laughs) no, nope, 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 nope. And so I had spent $12,000 for that shoot and I threw everything out, didn't use a single photo. And had to reshoot the whole thing, hired a new photographer, new creative director, you know, put every, like did everything all over again, spent another $10,000 to do it. And it's what you see on the website today. Which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I'm so glad I did it. So glad I did it. So wait, did you fire the first round of people and hire a whole new group of people or did you give them a second chance and just... No, I fired the first and hired and, and hired someone else. Okay, so I have to ask because you're a very confident person and this is what comes across in your branding and this is why your branding is so amazing. It really encapsulates you. you. And if you listen, you've got to go and visit Vivian's website and just check out this branding that we're talking about. You don't strike me as the type of person to keep things in where it's really important for you Mm -hmm. not to. Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested in the fact that there were multiple points in Mm -hmm. this process where you were unhappy, but you were willing to just kind of swallow that unhappiness. Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. to ask, why? One, I was worried about the sunk costs. And two, it was a bit of that imposter syndrome. So here I was, you know, I'm uneducated. I have managed to build this million dollar business. Not entirely sure how I did it. I mean, I know how I did it, but you know, not entirely sure how I did it. 
And there were these professional people telling me that this was what it should look like. And I was like, mm, mm. but, you know, my gut was like, nope, 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 nope. But, you know, for some reason, you know, and it's also one of the lessons that I learned and I'll probably talk about later, but I, I shouldn't have trusted them with my vision. They don't have my eyes. They don't have my footprint. They don't know what I did and had to go through in order to build this business. They didn't have my vision. And so it was a huge learning lesson for me because, you know, at, at some point I was just like, well, screw it. Okay, Vivian, you may not have a degree in marketing or photography or cinema or whatever the case may be, but you do know your customer. You do know your business because you built it from scratch. You know exactly what these women want to see because you are that customer. It's not like I'm, you know, selling uh, water bottles. No, I'm selling a very personal product that I started because I had the problem and I found the solution so I can speak to it. I understand the customer because I got high on my own supply. And so it was really just a learn. It was just a, a, a period of growth. So it had I had to trust myself because I thought, okay, well, I built one business. It was a fluke. I built a second business. Vivian, it can't be a fluke. So you obviously know something. So I had to give myself more credit than I was giving myself. Quick thing. As an email expert, I've analyzed hundreds of emails and I see a lot of business owners making the same expensive mistakes in their email strategy and copy. I want to help you stay away from those mistakes, which is why I've created the email rules, my free 35 minute email class that teaches you how to boost your conversions and sales through email without making any costly mistakes. One business owner called Visma says it's the best email class she's ever taken. Thank you, Visma. Want to get your hands on it? It's totally free. Head over to emailcopycode.com slash email rules or hit the link in the show notes and you'll get instant access. Oh, and if you're not into writing your own emails and you'd rather me strategize and write your emails for you, get in touch. Let's make it happen. You just touched on imposter syndrome and here it kind of stemmed from the fact that you didn't finish college, right? So you started mm-hmm. college and left college. How many times has this cropped up for you in your business is it rare that you it, it crops up and you feel something or is oh, it, it crops up all the time it crops up all the time but not so much anymore because I'm about to do 10 years in the business I obviously know what I'm doing but you know there's been ups and downs and arounds and arounds right like I'm not even going to hesitate where the last two years have been absolute craptastic the business hasn't been doing as well, but because we were going through a global pandemic and who's been through a global pandemic before? Nobody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so it's been it's been a, a huge learning curve. But again, you, you have to trust yourself because no one knows your baby the way you do. People can give advice. It's just like, you know, as a mother, you know, people can give you all the advice that they want. You can take some with a grain of salt. You can completely ignore some. And then there's some you take to heart. But you know your baby better than anyone else does. You know what's best for it. And even if you think you know what's best for it, at least you tried, even if you fail. As a service provider and as someone who I I love that whole providing an amazing experience for my clients and that kind of thing. I'm super interested to know what the conversation was between you and the service provider where you told them they have just completely missed the spot and you hate everything. Yeah, well, when I told them that they com- they completely missed the spot and everything and they said, well, you should have said something while it was happening. And then I said, you know what? You're right. I should have. Thank you. 
for that very hard lesson. <laughs> yeah. And, and oh you know what? Gosh. She was complete. And I, she was, I, I couldn't fault her for saying it like that. Like she was right. I should have said something. And the funny thing was, I remember during the shoot, like I want to say halfway through the shoot, I got tired of the music. So I changed the music and then I tried to give some creative direction. But at that point, the models were tired, you know, and everything had just, you know, it was just I, I tried my best to save it. But again, a very expensive lesson. <laughs> so now that you had pretty bad experience with this first round of people, you've hired a new group of people. How was that process different from the first time around? So the process was different because what I realized was the second person that I hired truly understood what I was trying to accomplish. And it showed when they were showing me, like, you know, like the mood board. And it's something it's something I should have clued into because I think I was I was so busy trying to be sophisticated that I had forgotten to be authentic. Wait, OK, what makes, does that what does that mean? So then I thought, OK, because I'm a million dollar business, I should look like a million dollar right. business. Okay. Right. Whereas with the second one, it was like, OK, why don't we why don't we just look like we started from the bottom now we're here like so we can still show the roots and where we started but it can still be it doesn't have to look like a million bucks like it can look like a million bucks but it doesn't have to be snooty Mm -hmm. or you know inauthentic and so I wanted girls who when they laughed you could see it and they loved their hair and they they understood the assignment And, you know, another thing was I was very hands off with the first group, whereas this one I was very hands on because it was like, okay, no, I need to really explain what I want to see. I want to see it three times. I want to make sure. Yes, that's the colors. This is this. I had to make sure it was happening because I wasn't about to spend another $10,000 trying to fix a second mistake. Wow. Okay. And so now they present you with your new branding, your photos. I'm presuming you got another video. How did you feel about the yes. new ones that you got? I was like, yes, this is it. This is it. Like, I remember crying because it felt like everything that was in my head was finally on the screen. It finally looked like like if you'd seen the progression of my business and you see what the result of that was, it was like, yes, like that for me is success. That's my million dollar business. It doesn't have to look like, you know, a high nose on a Rodale Drive sort of business it doesn't have to because I'm not even that type of person so why was I even trying to wear a dress that doesn't even fit let's talk about the next part of this how did this mistake make you how did it change you as a person as a business owner and how you went on to do business and be the person you are today I learned to trust myself to trust that and, and I find as women we undervalue our intuition our gut tells us so many things and and if you're if you're sort of unaware of what, you know, what it means to follow your gut, your body knows like, you know, like when someone says something, your body immediately either falls into it or falls back from it. Yeah. So I always say whenever you want it, you need to make a decision. Just ask yourself the question out loud and you'll immediately react to it. And so what I learned is to listen to that intuition. That just because I don't, and that's the thing, because I was pitting, you know, reason against my heart, right? Like not having that education. So therefore that person must know better against what I felt in my heart, which is what it knows, it feels, because this is where the business came from anyways. 
And so I just had to learn to trust myself. And so now it's like, if I say, nope, nope, not doing it, nope, then I know Vivian, like, I don't go back, oh, did I, well, you know what? Obviously, there's sometimes I'm like, did I make the right decision? Should I? But then I'm like, no, you know what? That's the decision I've made and I'm sticking to it. Whether it's a good one, it's a good one or a bad one. That's what I felt at the time. And that's the decision I'm, I made. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to cry over spilt milk, right? I'm just going to trust myself that I, I made a decision based off of what I knew and what I felt and to trust that. And if, I, and if it fails, well, then you know what? It's okay. At least I tried. Nothing wrong with trying, right? Absolutely. And I think that goes back to what you said earlier, which is what this entire podcast is based on, this idea that there are no such thing as mistakes. Everything is a lesson learned. We've yep. just got to keep learning these lessons. Yep. Everything happens for a reason. And you have this phrase, what would Chad do? <laughs> what does what would Chad do mean? And yeah. how was it born? Well, what would Chad do is really about it's more of an energy. It's more of a, a mood, an attitude, uh, a mindset. That's what it is. So what would Chad do is meant to help you to immediately dismiss those self-limiting beliefs that pop into your head. So, for example, Vivian, you know, you don't know what you're talking about because you don't have a college education. Well, what would Chad do? Chad, who's probably, you know, let's just say Chad did, you know, most likely Chad, did, even if he didn't finish school. You'd think that would stop him from doing all the mediocre things he's doing? No, it doesn't, as we've seen. And so really what Chad is, is really to help me to to push myself out of my comfort zone. Because I think, well, what would a white guy do if he was in my position? He'd do it. You know, because they say, even with women, we could have four out of the five qualifications and we still won't apply for that job. But Chad could be 100% unqualified. And he goes for it, right? Like, Isn't look at look at the leaders. Look at half the leaders of the world and former prime ministers and presidents that have done all these big things and they have no business doing it. But they're doing it anyways because they have the audacity, right? So really what we women are missing is that audacity. So what we need to do is we need to marry our expertise because we know what we're doing. We know what we're talking mm-hmm. about. We just need to trust ourselves. So we need to match, we need to marry that that expertise with that confidence, that audacity to go out in the world and do the big things that we need to do. So what would Chad do came about after I wanted to apply for a grant. And I was like, oh, but I don't have the, I don't know how to fill it out. Nah, 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 nah. And so then I remember asking myself, but what, all of a sudden I was just like, well, what, what would Chad do? He would do it. Like, why, why shouldn't I apply for this? And so then that's how it was born. And I started saying it out loud and people were like, oh, my God, you're so brilliant. (laughs) It is, though. It really is. And I feel like we can all relate to that. And certainly because there there are so many aspects to this, so many dimensions to this. Mm -hmm. So as a woman, as black women, as as mothers, you're a single mother doing it Mm -hmm. by yourself. There's so many different parts of this where statistically, you know, We're being told one thing and we're yep. in this box over here yep. and we have to do so much to, like you said, find that audacity. It takes so much more from us. Yep. I mean, this all really goes back to trusting your gut and trusting your mm-hmm. instincts and mm-hmm. and almost taking the opportunities that life throws at you, especially the ones where, you know, you think one thing is going to happen 
and something entirely different happens. Yeah. And just you asking yourself or encouraging yourself to have that audacity to do the thing that maybe you're afraid of doing. I wonder, does that get easier as you're in business longer? The audacity? Uh, yeah, it's like a muscle. Okay. Right? It's like, you know, when you go to the gym, it's like going to the gym, right? When you go to the gym, you get on the treadmill the first day, you're out of breath. But if you keep going every single day and every single day you keep doing something a little audacious, whether that's, you know, something audacious in your self-care, something audacious in your career, something audacious, you know, in, in your joy, something like, you know, if you keep just doing these little sprinkling little bits of audacity in everything you do, next thing you know, it's like a reflex. It's a mm-hmm. reflex to be audacious, right? Because why not? If they can do it, if they can just, if, if, you know, some people can just wake up one day and say, I'm going to do this and they do it. Why can't I try it? Why can't I do it? So it, I would say audacity is, it's a muscle. Plus you need audacity to have any sort of success. It's the child of success, actually. So in order to get over to that success, that top tier of success, you got to have a whole lot of audacity because... <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen magically. So you have to take risks. You have to be bold. You have to be willing to do, to go against, you know, the the grain. Because, you know, audacity right now has like this negative connotation. I challenge you to flip it on its head. It is not a negative thing. It can be a positive thing. It's just what we've seen is, you know, mediocre people doing stupid things. That's why, you know, we think audacity is a negative thing. But really, it's just the willingness to be bold. It's a willingness to take risks. Just make your risk calculated. You don't have to do it the way they do it. Do it the way you would do it. And they don't have to be, you know, leaps and bounds. They could just be small steps. (laughs) Big, small steps. Big, small steps. Because it all adds up. It all adds up. When I look at your two businesses, Vivian's Decor, Mm -hmm. the wedding decor business, and then Kinky Kurliaki, As a fan of niching, someone who loves a good niche, I noticed that both of them were very heavily niched. So with your wedding decor business, you only did the decor. So you were not, you know, managing the rest of the wedding. You were not getting the cakes, the flowers, nothing. Your thing was decor, right? And so when it came to Kinky Kaliaki, your hair extension and weave business only serves black women and a subset of black women as well. So mm-hmm. not just black women that want weaves, but black women that want weaves that look as natural as possible. So not the Nicki Minaj's of the world. They want to look as natural as possible. That to me was fascinating because people are terrified of niching. Mm-hmm. How important do you think niching was to the success of both your businesses? It's, it's the reason. If I had to name five reasons, that would be number one niching and it's and it's because niching is just so much easier it's so much easier to get to the audience and it's cheaper and it's you know what you want to do is when you're niching is you want your customer when your customer finally finds you to say i can't believe you made a product just for me because you're speaking to a very specific group of people whereas if you're just selling hair extensions you're speaking to a very broad group of people and when you're speaking to everyone you're speaking to no one right so when you niche down now and i understand it can be scary but think of niching as you know getting your foot in the door right so you get your foot in the door with a very specific product now you're in with that very specific group of people you're speaking their language you understand what their problems are you speak to their pain points 
they will go and tell the world all about you, which is exactly what happened with Kinky Kurliaki. It's exactly what happened with, with Vivian's decor. I served a very specific group of people, and then those very specific group of people went and told their very specific same groups of people, friends, family, whatever the case may be. And then that's how I grew. That's how you would grow your business organically, right? Through niching. And then once you get your foot in the door, then you can you can either go deeper into the niche or you can go wider into the niche. Mm-hmm. So like, say for Kinky Kurliaki, I just went wider. I first started with, I think it was with five textures. And then, no, it was six textures. And then what I did was instead of adding, you know, body wave and Malaysia and all that stuff, I just went deeper. So it was like, okay, I started out with wefts. Then I went to clip-ins. Then I went to wigs. Then I went to, you see, so I went deeper in the niche. Mm -hmm. But you could also go wider. But the deeper you go, the more you're known for it. Like, let's just say, like I said, people say whenever they want kinky textured hair, they say they want that kinky curly yaki. Just like when people want to Google stuff. They say Google stuff. They don't say I'm going to go do a web search. They say Google because Google at the time, got really good at search. Same thing with Amazon. You can't, here's the thing. Amazon started out by selling books. They got really, really good at selling books and figured out the best way to ship books across the country and how fast and all that. And then they said, hmm, we've got our foot in the door with books. Imagine what we could do with whatever the second product that they decided to sell was. And now look at them. So, Niching is a surefire way to get your foot in the door of success, of the house of success. Because that way you're speaking to a very specific group of people. It is cheaper to talk to them. It is easier to talk to them because you understand their needs. You can speak exactly to what their pain points are. And you don't have much competition when you niche. Mm -hmm. So how can you how can you niche your current product? okay? or even if you're just starting a business, how can you find a niche to start with? First of all, look at your everyday problems. So I I started both my businesses because I had a I had a problem. And when I went looking for the solution, I couldn't find it. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So even if it's like, okay, I want to sell hair extensions. I remember actually I have a very specific example. I had one girl reach out to me and say she also sells hair extensions, but she's she sells kinky textured hair extensions, but you know, she's not getting traction. Da, da, da. I went and looked at her website and I saw that she sold wigs. And I said, you know what, girl, you're selling the exact same textures that I do. But I actually at a certain point I stopped selling wigs. So I said, you sell wigs. If I were you, I would only sell kinky textured wigs because you can speak to it better than I can. Did she do it? She didn't. So that's the thing. You can't be afraid to niche. You can't. What, what, if anything, what do you lose by not do? What do you lose by not doing it? Everything. But what do you lose by doing it? You could gain everything. You have a 50, you have a 50% better chance of succeeding if you niche than if you don't. I have to say that's been my experience. So I was a generalist copywriter to begin with mm-hmm. and I was terrified of niching. It was email that I loved and I knew that that was my strength, but I was scared. I was mm-hmm. really scared that I would lose clients. I wouldn't be able to, you know, find work. And then what happened was I, I did it and my business boomed. My business boomed from the year that I really decided to home in on on email strategy and copy that was it that was the beginning of 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 everything and it is everything it is what you just said you know people know what I do people know me for that people say Iman oh Iman she does email it's so easy to remember it's so easy to just memorize and to tell the next person email 
Iman, you know? Right. I, I mean, I totally agree. And that's exactly what I saw. But I love that you're here to say that because it is a very touchy topic. It is. And I understand why people are scared. I yes. was scared. It took Absolutely. me a while. It is, I, it is scary. It is scary. Yeah. But I mean, that's the audacity, right? You got to take the risk. Uh-huh. You got to take the risk and be willing to be bold in order for you to to have that success. It's it's the fastest way to do it, to be honest. I, I totally agree. And going back to the mistake that you shared, Vivian, it feels like you have grown a lot since the person who who made that, who made those choices. Looking back, what did you learn? And what do you want others to learn from your experience around how you dealt with that situation? So what I learned from that experience was one, to trust myself. I certainly know way more than I give myself credit for. And two, to not be afraid to have that vision and not to trust other. You can't trust other people with that vision, especially when it's your vision, (laughs) right? So it's not like you're copying someone else and you're just working off of someone else's blueprint. No, this is your own blueprint. So you shouldn't be afraid to take bold risks, to have audacity to try new things, to niche it down, to 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 go on this platform and to do these things like that's what I've learned. Like I learned you can't um, you got to trust yourself and no one else has your vision but you. So only you can execute it the way you do. You are the secret sauce. You are the magic pill. You are all those things because nobody can do it the way you can. You are the only person with your unique set of abilities, your your expertise, your past, like everything that makes up you. You are the only person that has that. So rely on that, like use that to your advantage. So that's what I did. I used the fact that I was a college dropout, an immigrant, a single mother, and I managed to build this seven-figure business without knowing what the hell I was doing. And I used that to my advantage. That's It's the audacity. Just take every bit of audacity and just ring it out. <laughs> ring uh, it out. <laughs> I love it. And you know what that reminds me of? When I first started in business, I was given advice to not put photos of myself on my website and online, on my social media and all that stuff, because people won't want to work with someone who looks like you. Yep. You, so you, you got, like right? you and you got a hijabi and you right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and so my thing was, I mean, I thought about it for a little bit. And then I was like, you know, if someone doesn't want to work with me because of the way I look, I don't want to work with you. And I, I certainly don't want, want your money. Exactly. Exactly. You can't be for everyone. And you if cannot you are, be for then everyone. Really? Why? <laughs> exactly. And you know what happened? I did put pictures up of myself on my social media and on my website. And people remember me because mm-hmm. I look different mm-hmm. from everybody else in the room. Yep. Yep. And it's become it's become something that is positive for me. I mean, I always knew it wasn't negative. Yep. But for those people that put that little thought in my that They're putting seed their insecurities on you. Right. I mean, people remember me. Mm-hmm. And and I love that. Vivian, this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. You, I already told you that you were among the top people that I wanted to talk to. Because of you, you're branding the way you are. I heard you speak at the Being Boss conference a couple of years ago and I've never forgotten you. Oh, um, thank so, you. <laughs> thank you, really. How can people find you if they want to stay connected? I am an absolute pleasure to follow on Instagram. <laughs> she is. I can attest to that. 
on Instagram. So it's it's Vivian K. It's I T S V I V I A N K A Y E. So you can find me there. You can find me on all the major platforms. Same name. It's Vivian K. And and on my website, VivianK.com. Thank you, Vivian. You are absolutely welcome. Thank you for having me. Vivian's story is as incredible as she is. As a black immigrant, a woman, a college dropout, a single mother, she had everything working against her and yet she still came out on top. Vivian is an example of what's possible when you trust yourself, when you show up for yourself, when you believe in yourself and when you have the audacity to ask, why not me? Because she had the courage to stand up for her own vision, to let go of the $12,000 she'd invested in her branding project and to accept that she'd just have to start all over again, she went on to create a brand that is truly unforgettable. It's so magnetic that she's attracted brand partnerships with the likes of Porsche, Shopify and American Express, which has taken her businesses to levels of success that not even she imagined for herself. So... I leave you with this. The next time you're unsure of yourself or about to second guess yourself or about to count yourself out of an amazing opportunity, ask yourself, what would Chad do? And then do that. You're listening to Mistakes That Made Me. I'm Iman Ismail, and if you love this episode, take a screenshot, post it on Instagram, and tell everyone you know that this is the podcast to listen to. And tag me, at Iman Copico, so we can say hi, and so I can share your post. You can find the links to everything I've mentioned today in the show notes. Next time on Mistakes That Made Me. You don't own ideas, and you cannot be resentful that other people execute an idea that you have had and not taken action on. You can't be resentful to people who have executed on an idea that you have also executed on. That's not how it works. 